down. I encourage you, of course, to open your Bible, your copy of God's Word, if you have one with you, to Revelation chapter 2. And uh, if not, uh, please just pay the screens, we'll have it, and you can follow right along with us. I thinking about Labor Day weekend, I told them Wednesday night in our Bible study, it's one of my favorite weekends of the year because it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's football season, you know, and, and uh, with that, Labor Day weekend, you can really just... You can just get a belly full. You can really get intoxicated on college football this weekend. And yesterday, it seemed like everybody did well. And then, of course, you know, uh, we started Thursday night. I took in a little West Virginia pit Thursday night. You know, you got your high school games on Friday. And then you got yesterday just, uh, I, I mean, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember when you rarely got to see Alabama or Auburn on TV. Y'all remember that? Usually it's because Auburn was on probation, but anyhow, but I, no, just, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. We've been there too, just among friends. Just seeing if anybody's listening. Because sometimes after the music, y'all go, all right, tone down, this preacher, we can kind of tune out. But uh, listen, don't zone out on me, so I'll throw in a few things just to make sure because people's eyes pop up like, oh, he's meddling now. Uh, but it rarely could you find, and you'd have to listen to him on the radio. Y'all remember that? And the radio was how we listened to a lot of those things, unless it was like a championship game, which we got to see plenty of those too. But anyhow, uh, tonight, uh, you know, we'll get a little LSU Florida State, and then tomorrow night a little Clemson. And uh, so it's just going, it's just great. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But I remember you boys uh, being a high school athlete, uh, or high school teammate. I wasn't much of an athlete, but I was a teammate, and I would play hard. But I, uh, and, uh, anyhow, Labor Day practice. Now, Coach, I mean, y'all used to tell us one on this, and Coach would say, all right, it's Labor Day, boys. We're going to get y'all in here early so we can get you out early. You can go on to your barbecues and family festivities. That's not true, boys, okay? Look, they get you early so they can keep you late. I mean, yeah, no, I know. I'm just, uh, but now nah, that's just kidding up. But I'll never forget them saying, boys, we're going to get in here early so we can get out early. It's kind of like the preacher saying, we're going to read less verses today so the Church service won't last as long, right? Nah. Hey, but it's a good time. It's a great time. I'm just glad y'all here. I've been looking forward to seeing y'all all week. Amen. I don't know about y'all, but this is Super Bowl prime time for me, and I pray it is for you every week. This is what I look forward to. Y'all are the people that I care so much about, long to see, and just want to make an investment in your life today. And uh, I believe every time we open the Word of God, it's an investment, don't you? God's word invested in us, take root in our heart, mold us, make us in the image of God. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 8. And uh, if you found your place or physically able, stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter two, uh, 2, verses 8 through 11. The Bible says, And the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's where we ended last week. This is where we'll pick up today. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word today. Father, I pray you take this poor, lisping, stammering tongue of this preacher. God, may you, as you've set my heart on fire by your word, may you help me to articulate your truth to your people today, and may lives be forever changed as a result of being here under the influence of the gospel. We give you the praise in advance for that. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The church at Smyrna. Last week, we begin to unpack this portion of scripture pertaining to the church at Smyrna. We talked about the first half of the message in verses 8 and 9 last week. And we learned about also 
a background of the city. We learned how it was a wealthy city, very beautiful place. We also learned about the body of believers that were assembled together at Smyrna who were making a bold influence and impact for the gospel. We learned of the presence of the Lord that was in that church and we learned, we learned of the, his awareness of the conflicts that they were facing. These conflicts that were coming at the church were not taking the Lord by surprise and our Lord spoke to them concerning four major areas of conflict that we talked about last week. As he was aware of their conflicts, and I believe that might still be on the screen, I want to remind you of these briefly before we dive in. He was aware of the witness of their works. He was aware of the trials of their tribulation. He was aware of the pain of their poverty. He was aware of the sting of their slander. That's from last week, and we will leave it just for a few moments as a reminder to all of us what we learned together last week that we build upon for this week. See, each area of those had brought its share of difficulty to the church, yet they continued to persevere. They did not persevere in the power of their own giftedness or their own strong will. They persevered in the power of the Holy Spirit that dwelt within each of them. See, this thought causes me to consider what the definition of a strong church is in our day. We know what the definition was in that day, and I don't believe it should have changed, but I'm afraid that many have changed the definition. Most people today define a strong church as one with the largest attendance, the nicest, most up-to-date facilities, and a large budget to support those facilities and ministry. Well, I want you to know I believe that people are very important to ministry. You can't do ministry without people because ministry is all about people. Amen? Warren Wearsby defined it best. I've said it to you before. I'll remind you again. That ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. Ministry takes place when divine resources, means we have nothing of our own, meet human needs which are all around us through loving channels, which is people like you and me, and it's all for the glory of God. Amen? People are important for ministry to take place. Dollars are important for ministry to take place. You can only do a dollar's worth of ministry with a dollar, and I want you to know it requires those things. But also it requires space to develop a strong church, space, people, dollars, and all those. But none of those things will keep a church strong. It won't make a church strong in and of itself, and it will not navigate a church through the valleys and the storms of life if you only base your strength on budgets, buildings, and bodies. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know it's very important we understand that. So if there is a... Not, if it's not true that that's what makes a strong church, we've got to ask ourselves, what does make a strong church? And the only way I believe a church can become or remain strong throughout life is through the power of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God within every believer. And also, I believe there must be on the part of every believer who has been indwelt with the Spirit of God, they must have a heart of full surrender to Christ which enables the church to walk in unity of purpose and impact the culture and fulfill the work of the Great Commission. Those are the things that are necessary. And if we will do those things, He will supply the people, He will supply the resources and the finances through His people and he will help us to be able to develop budgets that impact the world for the glory of God. In too many places today, the budget drives the ministry and not the ministry driving the budget. The ministry must, must drive the budget in order for us to be a great commission church and a church that will remain strong throughout our life together. But thankfully... Our Lord is aware, as we've learned. We have learned that He is active in the needs of the church as a whole, and He's also active in the needs of every individual member. Hear me today. You matter to God. Your family matters to God. 
He is very interested of what is going on in your life and he desires to get ultimate glory through your faithfulness to him. Amen? I really believe that to be true. He is very concerned. He knows what we need and he knows when we need it. So I believe as strong as this church had been, the church at Smyrna, as much as they had gone through, as much as Jesus was aware of their conflicts, they still needed a word from God. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that's important. Revelation chapter, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Let me just visit for a second something I shared just briefly. I believe it was on Wednesday night too. Proverbs 29, 18 is a verse we all know very well. It says these words in the old King James, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that obeys the law, happy is he. That's very important that we understand, but I really like the translation that says where there is no prophetic word, where there is no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraints. If there is no revelation, there is no restraints. I like what Henry Blackaby said, and I want to share this with you, and I think it, this was what was in your uh, Alabama Baptist this week on the back page. When believers are not hearing from God, there will be spiritual anarchy in the lives of the people of God. They do what their own minds want to do. Rebellion and chaos will allow people to do what their own hearts design them to do and defy anybody that tries to deny them that right. Spiritual anarchy in the lives of God's people will bring great distress. Too often the church today, when there is not a prophetic revelation word from God that is coming from the pulpit, that is coming from the songs we sing, that is coming from the lessons we teach in our Sunday school and discipleship ministries, when there is not a prophetic word from God being revealed to the people of God, here's what happened. They do as they did in the days of the judges. They do what is right in their own eyes because they do not have a king. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know today the church at Smyrna, they needed a word from God. They needed God to speak to them. And can I say this to you today? The church at Heflin needs a word from God. You know, Blackaby helped me understand there's a difference between delivering a sermon and delivering a revelation from God. There's something different about a word from God than just a well-crafted sermon. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we can, deter, we can derive sermons from our own heart and mind, but I want you to know a word that comes from God will have a lasting impact on the people of God. So let's dive right in here, if we will, to this last half of the word of the church at Smyrna. Not only was there an awareness of their conflicts, but there was an admonition of courage. What did our Lord say to them? He said to them in verse 10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Oh, Lord, help us. You see, after being assured of God's presence and his words to the church and how he was very aware of what was going on in them, most would expect that they would be allowed to enter into a season of comfort and peace. But no, our Lord was about to speak a word to encourage them. A word to encourage them to remain courageous about the things that were coming because here's what he was saying to them. If you think things have been bad, they're about to get worse. <laughs> That's like if I walked to you today and say, hey, church, it's been bad, but it's going to get worse. You'd be like, I, I need you to encourage me. Well, I am, but by encouraging you, we've got to get real about what's ahead of us. Notice how he talked with them. The first thing he told them to do was that they needed to live without fear of the future. How many people do you know that's afraid of what might happen tomorrow? How many people do you know that's afraid of what might happen next week? How many people do you know that's afraid of what happened next month, next year, and the next 10 years? 
I remember jokingly, but it was serious joking. In 2020, I remember telling our church when we were able to start meeting again that I can remember living through the first 10 years of the 2000s and everybody got to 2010. We'd got past Y2K. We'd passed the bird flu, swine flu, and every other kind of flu. And then all of a sudden, people began to put together these long-range plans. Says, okay, it's 2010. We've got to have a 2020 vision. Sounded really good. But can I tell you, there's not a church under the sun. I'd love to go read a lot of those 2020 visions. I bet none of them included a worldwide pandemic. None of them. None of us knew what was coming. You know what? We can make all the plans we want to. The scripture says that a man can kind of figure out his own way and he can plan his own way, but it is the Lord who directs his steps. He told them they were to live out fear with the future. We all do this. See, we are reminded repeatedly in Scripture that we're to live without fear. You can count them. Fear not, fear not, fear not. Somebody said there's 365, one for every day. I haven't counted them. I'll just have to take their word for it. But listen here. It's easy to tell people to live without fear, but it's hard for us to put to practice a life that is without fear. Here's what we do. We fall victim to fear when our comforts are threatened and our tomorrows are uncertain. We like to be comfortable, don't we? I've told y'all, Mr. Carrier, who invented air conditioning, is my lifetime hero. I, I like that guy, right? I mean, we like to be comfortable. I can remember years ago, my youngest daughter, Brooke, said to me, uh, it's the only youngest daughter I got, but he has, he said to me, she said, uh, Dad, what did y'all do? Because somebody told me that there was a time in history when you didn't have a remote control for the TV. I said, you know what? There was. And she said, well, what did y'all do? I said, you ain't going to believe this, bro. We got up. And we walked all the way across the room. And we changed the channel. <laughs> and went back and sat down. She said, no. I said, Yeah. I said, and if you were like me, we didn't have a remote control, but my daddy used me for one. Hey, boy, turn that channel. And y'all remember when, I, this is when I thought we'd hit the big time, when we got a rotary. Come on, Keith, you had a rotary. Your daddy made you go turn the rotary down. But you know why I love the rotary? At least I didn't have to stand outside in the freezing cold saying, turn it to the left a little bit, boy. I mean, hey, I thank God for the rotary. I said, Brooke, you know, truthfully, there was a time in this world when, when you actually had to walk across a room. You know, I've got one of them coffee pots, or I had one. And she likes the, the Keurig better. And I deal with it, you know. There's some hills we can't die on, brothers, right? But I had this coffee pot one time. I love this coffee pot. Marty, you know what I do? I would set that thing before I went to bed at night. I mean, it's the most amazing thing on the side. I'm easy to impress, right? Look at, I'd go, I would put me some coffee in it, and I'd put the water in it, and I'd hit a little button, set it, and I'd set it for 15 minutes before my alarm went off. So Y'all didn't know how brilliant I was, right? So I'd set it for 15 minutes, and, and, and when I woke up, I didn't have to stand there and wait on the water to heat up. I didn't have to put no water in it. I just poured it right. I mean, it was the most amazing thing. Do you know? But I remember... My grandmother having this thing you put on the pot, you'd have to wait for it to start whistling. And it seemed like forever. Y'all remember that? Y'all do remember that? Okay, good. I mean, it just took forever. Or the old percolating pots. I mean, it's, there was a time when we were not near as comforted in this country as we are now. But when it comes to fear, we don't like for our comforts to be compromised. See, Jesus told them that persecution was about to come and they must make a choice. Here, I want you to hear me. You're going to have to make this same choice as we get closer and closer to the coming of our Lord and persecution comes to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can count on it. You're going to have to make a choice not to allow fear to immobilize and even paralyze you to fulfill the work of God and your purpose on this planet. You cannot allow fear to stop you from pursuing the mission. When we go into Utah, I don't know if you know this or not, but our message is not very welcome in that area. Did y'all know that? We try to communicate that. 
it's not very welcome. I mean, nobody's held us at gunpoint or nothing like that, but you can tell there is a major oppressive resistance to the gospel. Why? Because it's truth. It is light, and when light exposes darkness, darkness doesn't like the light. John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I think about this um, I asked Wednesday night about favorite books and stuff. We was talking about those things people read. But I was thinking about uh, favorite movies, and I've got, I've got a lot of favorites, but here's one of my all-time favorite movies, Rocky IV. Of all the Rocky movies, if you like any of them better than four, I know some of you are nostalgic. Well, I like the original. Rocky IV was awesome because we whipped the Russians. And if you grew up in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. We didn't like Russia. Our president, Ronald Reagan, said they were an evil empire. Amen? Pretty bold. But the wall came tumbling down. Just wanted to say that. But anyhow, um, I'm not a real big sequel guy. Let me give you an example. Bo Darvel and the Snowman and Sheriff Buford T. Justice, Smokey and the Bandit, 1977, Second highest grossing movie of the year, only second to the Star Wars nerds. But anyway, I mean, just kidding to see if y'all listen. Okay, look here. Bo Darvel, a real superhero of our time. That was a classic, okay? They came along and made Smoking the Bandit 2 about hauling some elephant, which was a flop. I mean, it was terrible. And Smoking Bandit 3 didn't even have Bo, the bandit. Burt Reynolds wasn't even in it. Snowman was driving a Trans Ham. What in the world's going on? Leave it alone. Right? Somebody asked uh, Tom Hanks if they'd do a sequel to, you know, there's another book been written to Forrest Gump, which I'll talk about that in a minute. Look at He said, no, we just need to leave it alone because it might take away from the original. But I want to tell you, if any movie did sequels that really, really did well was Rocky. Now, once it got to five, that was a little... Uh, Four, they should have quit, right? Five was a little, little lame, right? Can we agree? Okay, okay. If we can't agree, you have the right to be wrong. But yeah, here, here's it. <laughs> Rocky Four. Do you remember Rocky Four? Uh, Rocky's going to be Apollo's guy. They were once adversaries. Now they're best of buddies. Apollo wants to take on this Russian. He wants to teach him some manners. And... You know the story. Apollo took it too lightly. The Russian took it really seriously, and Apollo died. And there Rocky had watched his best friend at that time die in the ring, and he was reeling. He knew he had to do something about it. He was really done, but he knew he had to do something about it. And he comes home late one night, and he's done, already done a press conference and said, we're going to Russia, we're going to fight this Russian in Russia. Adrian don't know about it, and he comes home and she stands at the top of the steps and he tries to explain to her and she says these words. She says, you can't win. Y'all remember that? Ah, come on, if you didn't watch Rocky IV, go home and YouTube it. It's awesome. Yeah. But Rocky IV, she says, you can't win. It crushed Rocky because Adrian was his everything. So here goes Rocky. He gets in that Corvette. Bust out a little Robert Tepper and no easy way out. He's flying down the road. And he's getting, uh, getting his mind right, getting ready to go. He goes to Russia. He trains in Russia. And then he gets to the fight, Christmas Day. At the beginning of that fight, that Russian is wearing him out. I mean, he is pummeling Rocky. And I'm thinking, golly, he's going to kill him. And then all of a sudden, Rocky finally lands a punch. Y'all remember that? And the whole theater down at the Chee Hall Cinemas, which is not a movie theater anymore, but I'm telling you, it erupted because he had punched the Russian. And the Russian went, uh-oh, he hit me back. So when he finally landed a punch on him and the theater erupted, he continued to battle, continued to battle. Finally, the Russian started to bleed. And when the Russian started to bleed, he said in his corner, he said, he is not human. The Russian was a machine. He had been well-prepared and well-trained. But the one thing he couldn't overcome was the heart and soul that was within Rocky Balboa. He was more than human because he was on a mission. Listen to me, church. Old Rock needed to be encouraged, and he eventually found that encouragement that he needed. You need to be encouraged today, and you need to know this, that he who lives within you is not human. He who lives within you is not natural. 
He is supernatural. He is greater than anyone under the sun. The scripture says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can walk in his strength. You can walk in his power even in the midst of great persecution. Why? Because he lives within you and he walks with you and he talks with you and he encourages you and he lifts you up when you're down. He picks you up when you're down. He dusts you off and he gets you back on the mission. Why? Because he's God and he's your Lord. Amen? Amen. But notice here, John addresses the source of the persecution. <laughs> he says, Satan, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Oh, wait a minute. He's the source of the persecution. The church has been the source of his assaults, or excuse me, the object of his assaults since the day of Pentecost. However, the Lord was going to allow it to continue on his people. He was going to allow the persecution to continue by some being cast into jail. For what purpose would God allow such an awful thing to happen? He said, I'm allowing this to happen that you may be tested. He said, all of you will be tested, but some of you will be in prison. Always remember this. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Nothing happens in this world unless God either ordains it or allows it. God either ordains it by his perfect will or he allows it. And listen to me. And when he allows the tests to come into our life, those tests are to bring out the best in us. God does not tempt any man toward evil. If you are being tempted toward evil, it is from the devil and he is tempting you to bring out the worst in you. But God will allow you to be tested to bring out the very best in you. And also you need to know this too. Our Lord assures them that the persecution will only last for a limited amount of time. Oh, this is good stuff. When you see that 10 days, I've read everybody on the sun about this because I want to get a clear picture. When you see 10 days, some people say, man, that's 10 days in the stockade or, or some say 10 years or 10 periods of time, but... To be very honest with you, none of those are really correct because no one is really certain except for this, that that 10 days that he refers to is a phrase that signifies a short period of time of intense pressure and suffering. Here's what Satan would do. He will throw everything he had at the church. Can I tell you, he is not afraid to throw everything he has at this church. If this church makes a difference for the kingdom of God and impacts the kingdom of darkness, he will come after us with everything that he has. He will seek to destroy us and get us to turn our back on God. What he was trying to do with the church at Smyrna is what he will try to do anywhere. He will try to send shockwaves of fear through the church and into the city and discourage anyone from following Christ. He was doing it then. He's doing it now. We should not be shocked or dismayed. We should anticipate this, but we should be prepared and have a Holy Ghost resolve that nothing will stop us from following Jesus. We live without fear of the Future. There's a second thing. We're to live with faith in the Father. Did you see that? The last part of verse 10. He says, be faithful. How long? Until death. <laughs> be faithful and I will give you the crown of life. Oh, I got to hurry. Listen here. Be faithful is an urgent command for continual action. Be faithful doesn't mean be faithful on Sunday. It doesn't mean be faithful for a week, a month, or a year. It doesn't mean be faithful when things are good. It means be faithful when things are bad until he calls you home. You know, I mentioned Forrest Gump a little while ago. Y'all remember that show? He might be kin to some of y'all. I think he's a cousin. Of, he may be a cousin of mine. I don't know. I, 
I don't, somebody asked me once, said, hey, man, have you researched your family tree? I'm like, no, they lie, why not? I said, I'm afraid all the nuts that'll fall out of it. But, but especially on my mama's side. But anyhow, wait, some of my mama family might be watching. Just kidding. Man. I love y'all in Jesus' name. But anyway. <laughs> Old Forrest. Quite an interesting character, wasn't he? You, you remember when he started talking about his little run he had across America? You remember that? First he said, well, I ran to the end of the road. I ran to the town limit. I ran all the way across Greenbow County. Ultimately, I ran clear across Alabama. <laughs> and he said, I just kept going. He said, I ran all the way across the country until I got to that big ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And when I got there, as far as I said, I figured since I'd gone this far, I might as well just turn around and keep going. And then when I got to the other ocean, which would have been Atlantic, he said, I figured since I'd gone that far, I might as well turn back and keep right on going. And you remember he was sitting on that bench there in Savannah, Georgia? And he, so the lady looked at him and said, so, you just ran? And Forrest said, yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you know, that's the kind of determination that needs to be present in the life of God's people today. There needs to be a determination that once we get across one barrier, we keep going to the next one. And once we get to the next one, we keep going to the next one. And we don't get to one and say, it's just too much, the hill's too high, the valley's too wide, the water's too deep. We just keep going. That's the kind of determination that must be among the body of Christ today. The apostle Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. You know what he's saying? I am confident that I have completed the purpose for which God created me. How many of us, if we died today, would say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to enter glory knowing I have completed the course. I have followed Jesus. I am going to enter his presence. You know what he said in verse 8? He goes on to say this. He said, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day and not to me only but to all those that love his appearing. Oh, hear me, church. We need some men of God, some women of God, and some young people who love God who will just go forward for the kingdom and the glory of God and will not allow themselves to be stopped. God, help us. Press on, the old song says. Press on, it won't be very long until we reach that land of song. Oh, in heaven some sweet day, I'm going there to stay. Press on, it won't be very long. And that brings me to something I want to share with you. I didn't put this on the screen, but you need to know this. When he talks about crowns in Scripture, and we see that right here in the Word of God, he said, if you'll be faithful to death, I'll give you the crown of life. You see that and you think, well, what is that? I just read to you 2 Timothy this, about the crown of righteousness, but I, I did a little reading about that. And I realized from what I can understand, there's five crowns mentioned in Scripture. I wish I'd have put this on the screen, but I'm going to walk through real quick. There's the crown of exaltation. 1 Thessalonians 2.17 is for those who win others to Christ. Soul winners, a soul winner's crown. There's the crown of righteousness, which I just read about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's for those who live in expectation of Christ's coming. There is the crown of imperishability, which is for those who run the race of life in purity and self-control. There is the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4 for those who lead the church with humility. I love what it says. The Bible says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall give you a crown of glory that does not fade away. And then there's the crown of life. 
which is for those who endure persecution unto death. That is the crown that John is speaking about. Oh, I think about those things and it just stirs my heart. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Romans 8, 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in. I've been reading this book by Paul David Tripp called Suffering. I love Paul David Tripp's writings. I got turned on his writings years ago and I've read so many things he wrote. I read a lot about it because of two reasons. One, because of what I've seen so many people go through over the three decades of pastoring and also what I've seen people go through in the past two and a half years even more vividly. And then another reason is, just be very honest with you, trying to get some understanding of what we are going through as a family personally right now. But here's what Paul David Tripp said. I shared this on my social media the other day. Suffering doesn't so much change your heart as it does expose what's in your heart already. <laughs> That'll knock your head off one. Suffering doesn't so much change your heart as it exposed what has been in your heart all along. Difficulty has an amazing ability to reveal what's inside us. Trials reveal your true thoughts and desires and where you've been looking for life, where you've sought meaning and where you have looked to give you hope. Suffering will always expose the true nature of your relationship to and communion with God. When we suffer, it exposes what really matters to us and who really matters to us. Let me leave you with this today in verse 11. He also talks about an announcement of our covering. Look at verse 11 again. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Real quick, let me share. The knowledge of our Lord's presence in our trials should bring great comfort to the church. Can I tell you, that's what's brought me great comfort even in the midst of difficulty throughout my Christian walk and my ministry experience. I believe it's important to remember that John closes his remarks. He records the remarks of the Lord Jesus here in verse 11. He does so with two areas of emphasis. One is, is that he tells them they need to listen to the voice of the Lord. Jesus uses this phrase to close his remark to all seven churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Well, I tell you, that's real awesome across America today. If in God bless America... If people who name the name of Christ would open the ears and eyes of our heart and see and hear and follow what God is saying to the church. Well, you know what? Too often, we're caught up in what everybody else is saying. We're caught up in what the media is saying. We're caught up in what those behind, that ahead of us are saying. We're, we're, we're caught up in what everybody else thinks instead of what God thinks. And here's what he's saying. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. It's a reminder to not only hear the Word of God, but to heed the Word of God. Right now, you're hearing the Word of God, but you're going to make a choice. You've got a free will. You're going to make a choice to whether you heed it or to where you discard it. Mm, mm -mm. We've got to heed the message of God because we are responsible for what we hear and what we do with the Word of God. Did you know, hear me, let me help you now. I'm going to put myself, on, put myself on, uh, on the fire line. I'm on the carpet here. Look here. Before God, I told the ladies in Sunday school this morning. I will not only give an account personally for what I and how I've lived since I became a believer. I will give an account for how I've loved and led my wife, how I have loved and led my children. Please, God, don't hold me responsible for what them son-in-laws do. But anyway, <laughs> just seeing if y'all listening again, okay? But look here. I will be held responsible for how I have loved you, how I have led you, and the words which I have declared to you. 
puts you on the car. Not only will I be responsible for what I have said and how I have led and how I have loved, you will be responsible for what you have heard and what you do with what you hear. Not only should they listen to the voice of the Lord, but they should live with the victory of the Lord. Let me just close here. He said, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Wait a minute, a second death? Wait a minute. We all know. Did y'all know? No care. Latest statistics have come out, and they all say this, that one out of every one people born die. 100%, right? You're born physically, you're going to die physically. That's the bad news, okay? The good news is, or here's even the worst news. If you die physically without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you die without repenting of your sins and trusting him as the one and only way of salvation and the way to heaven, if you die physically without making that decision, you will die again. How do you know? Well, I read the book. In Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne, the judgment of the wicked says this, that those who stood before him, small and great, were cast into a lake of fire, which is the second death. See, ladies and gentlemen, it's simple like this. If you're only born once, you're going to die twice. Here's some good news. If you've been born once, we cannot stop the fact of dying once, physical death, but there is a way to prohibit you dying a second time and spending eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell. It is called the name of Jesus Christ. See, because of Jesus and what he did on Calvary's cross, he went there with his arms spread wide to the world and shed his life's blood so that you would have an opportunity to receive the gift of free salvation and miss the second death. See, if you're born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you only got to die once. <laughs> Woo, that's shouting around, church. That's shouting around. No, look here, Marty. I was just an old wretched sinner, unworthy of the grace and the love of an almighty, all-seeing, sovereign God. But in his love, and in his glory and in his power, he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son on the cross. And when he bled and died for my sin and he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, it allowed a boy who was convicted of his sin to bow before a holy God and say, oh, holy God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm headed for hell. It is what I deserve. But by your grace, would you cover me? Would you cleanse me? Would you make me your child so that I could spend eternity with you? Would you make me your own? You know what, Marty? He did just that. And I'm here to tell you today, he will do the same for you. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you've never been washed in the blood, you've never been forgiven of your sin, if you will come to Jesus, repent of your sin, you will only have to die once because you've been born twice. <laughs> Oh, my, that shouting ram. See, the great promise from our Lord is this. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved, covered, sealed, and secured by his precious blood. Can I tell you, he'll always be more than enough. Paul told Timothy in his final word, 2 Timothy 4, 18. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He said the Lord will deliver me and he will preserve me. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, Thank you for your word today. Thank you for what you did for us on Calvary's cross. Thank you for saving us from ourselves and our sin. 
God, right now, I pray for those in this building. God, those who have never made a decision to make you Lord of their life. That today, Father, those who have been born once will be born again. That at this invitation that the Holy Spirit of God would give them courage to just step into that nearest aisle and quit trying to fit in and start standing out. Oh God, may I take a hand of this preacher and I help them to get a hold of your heart. God, as you cleanse them from their sin and make them your child, God, will rejoice in this house over the changing of lives. And God, for your church today, those who've been born again, maybe they just need to be reminded that you're here among us. You're walking with us in our difficulties, and yes, they will come, but we will never face one thing this side of heaven or beyond that will be beyond your presence and your power God do what only you can do at this invitation time change lives it's my most humble prayer and I pray that the son of God is greatly glorified in this house in Jesus sweet name I pray amen and amen our heads about eyes are closed we're going to stand in just a moment here's the invitation if you never trusted Christ and you feel God speaking to your heart today, calling you to himself, please don't turn him away. Don't leave this building without coming to Jesus. I'll be here to receive you during this invitation to him, and I'll help you never do a thing to hurt you. Nobody will embarrass you. Nobody. We're just here to help you and encourage you and help you begin a new life in Jesus. And church, I want you to know persecution has come to the church in many ways. And in the last century, more people have died for the cause of Christ and all the others together, more martyrs. It's all across the world. It's even in our country, and it will continue to be, and we should not be shocked or dismayed. We should be prepared. And the way we get prepared is by coming together, by calling on God and pleading with Him to help us be faithful even when our faith is being tested. Whatever needs you now from the Lord, I plead with you to come on this song today. Father, I pray your will be done. I pray that lives be changed and you receive glory in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together all across the house. While we're standing, Marty's going to lead us, and I invite you to come make your decision public for the Lord today. You come as God speaks to you today, Marty, whenever you're ready.
just let's just come gather around these young folks. Let's just lift them up, let them know we're here for them. Would you come? Let's just all gather here. You can stand and whatever. Just let these all come gather around. That's what's gonna make us a family right here. It's gonna make us a family when we come together. Let's put our arms around each other.
encourage you to be faithful because of what it will do for you. Not what it will do for me or anybody else. What it will do for you. Because when you're faithful to give and you cast your all in all on the Lord and you learn that He is able to supply your every need, it is It's just a defining moment in your Christian pilgrimage. You give today, just remember, you're giving through the church to impact the world. I thank God for a church that has embraced God's heart, not my heart. It was God's heart revealed to me to reveal to you what's there thus far. Can I tell you, as they used to say on Johnny Carson, there's more to come. Amen. We're going to be challenged greater, but I'm up for it. And I pray you are too. So let's join our hearts together and ask God's blessings on our giving. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you this morning, Lord. I thank you for meeting with us this morning, Lord, for being here in our midst, Lord, and for speaking to our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, that for wisdom, for wisdom for our pastor, Lord, for wisdom for our church, for wisdom for me and my family, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'd find us faithful when those times come, Lord, and are trying. Lord, I pray that you'd just help us to remember that you're faithful and that you're there with us. And Lord, that you'll give us the strength to come through those trials. And Lord, that you'll make us stronger and better because of it. Lord, I thank you for this church, for these youth, Lord, for the work that you're doing there, Lord. And I pray that you'd just continue to help us to come alongside of them, Lord, and just use all of us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for revival in this community, Lord, through this church, for this body of believers. I pray that you'd use us in a mighty way. Lord, as we give this morning, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, help us to give with joyful hearts, help us to be generous, Lord, because you've been so generous to us. And Lord, just give us wisdom to use this money, Lord, so that you can be glorified. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Too many, you know, thundering points that I thought y'all might shower me with baby powder if I'm game. But I, <laughs> I'd have took it though. I might get me a jug next week. What do you think? That's, that's all right. I thought I might be careful. The baby powder might come raining down in the church, you know. But uh, anyhow, I just love to see people fired up about something, don't you? I know some people don't get fired up about anything, but I just really, you know, like I've told y'all a bunch of times, there's. They say, you know, he just gets carried away. The preacher told me, he said, there are folks that never get carried away, and they should be, but, you know, but anyhow, I'm not going to, I want to be fired up about what I do, stay fired up about Jesus, and because he's really fired up about you. I don't know if you know that or not. He really is radically crazy in love with you, and he desires for you to do the same with him. I want you to enjoy your, uh, your uh, Labor Day weekend. Please be careful. Don't blow up the grill or none of that stuff. If you've got any scraps left over, my number's in the bulletin. Just leave them by the door. I'll pick them up. No, kidding. But anyhow, um, but nevertheless, uh, I think about uh, Labor Day. I always think about my granddaddy because he was a, quite a farmer, watermelon dude. He had big time. Well, best watermelons ever. I guess I'm just biased because he's my granddad. But I remember him saying every Labor Day, you know, we'd get that and he'd make his famous peach ice cream in the 
ice cream maker, and he'd say, boys, y'all better get these melons. They don't be here much longer, you know. And that was kind of the signal that the watermelons were about to go away. But, you know, when you eat it at every meal for 90 days, you're ready, ready to go. So that was it. But, um, hey, I'm just grateful we had this day of worship. Thank you for just uh, listening and responding and, and keep heeding the Word of God all week, okay? Keep heeding the word of God. Ask him to give you divine appointments to encourage one another. Seen so many this week. Encourage other people. And never forget that I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen. Let's stand together. Margin will sing us out. See you on Wednesday night. I'll catch you out front.